how you do one thing is how you do everything. Because the reality is we try to compartmentalize our lives. This is work and this is life. But how we show up in both of them, we can't separate ourselves from that. (laughs) So there's no way to actually compartmentalize because you are who you are. And the beliefs you hold are the beliefs you hold. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, founder of Zivli. As a geriatric physical therapist, I saw the heartbreaking effects of insulin resistance. At Zivli, our mission is to help you prevent and reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention through a low insulin and inflammation lifestyle. Each week on this podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable tips to lose weight, keep it off, and get healthy. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and I'm really excited about our guest today. She is Dr. Rihanna Mulcahy, and she is a fellow physical therapist who's very passionate about mindset and habit change and and beliefs and our subconscious thoughts. And um, she actually went to school with our health coach, Dr. Beth. And so that's kind of how we got connected was through Beth. And we had a lovely little offline conversation, and I'm excited to Excited to bring this to you today because it's really important to understand that your thoughts really drive your actions and your actions drive your results, no matter what field you're in. So Rihanna helps physical therapists, specifically um, other rehab professionals as well, really grow their business, but do it in a way that doesn't create burnout. And so she helps a lot of rehab professionals with their mindset work, similar to how I help our Zivli members with their mindset work around their health and weight loss. So there's so many shared principles and shared beliefs that we're going to dig into today. Um, Before we do that, before we talk about why we don't do what we should do or what we know we should do to get the results we want, because that's the overall like theme for today's conversation. um, Can you just give us a little bit of a background on who you are and how you got into this mindset space? Because I think stories are really interesting. Yeah. um, Well, as you said, I am also a physical therapist and I used to work in like an outpatient setting where I was working with, you know, 18 patients a day. And I actually ended up burning out and like physically getting sick from a lot of the stress back in, you know, towards the end of 2020. So that with the pandemic, I'm sure escalated things. And so what ended up happening was because I was physically getting sick, thank God for my husband, because he was like, I know you love what you do, but your health comes first. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, because we love like helping people and all these things, it took me a while for that to finally land. But when it did, I ended up actually leaving my job with no plan in place. And I created a cookie business sprinkled with Aloha. And like, I did that for a year and it replaced my PT income, which was crazy um, to even think about. The problem, however, was I had changed what I did, but I didn't change the way I approached it. Interesting. And so the result was I burned out for the second time. And I just created another job. Mm -hmm. And that really was like my aha wake up moment where I was like, okay, I don't understand. Like I got everything I thought would fix the problem and it didn't. So what either something's wrong with me or the way I'm approaching things is broken. And so that really took me in a deep dive of like, reading more about human behavior, human psychology. And then one miraculous day, I literally stumbled upon my coach and my mentor's podcast. And she's a neuropsychologist. So she teaches you in her certification, how the brain wires for success, how we learn beliefs, and then tools that we can use to really neutralize those so that we can take the action that aligns better with the vision that we want. And so 
when I heard her speak, I was seriously like, I don't even care what your launch process is. Like <laughs> what, what workshops you have, like I need in now. Cause like, mm-hmm. I want to learn that and I haven't stopped learning from her. So that's like my story in a nutshell. Like yeah. that's what took me down that path. And so you did get that certification as like the certified master neuro coach. And I, I think that's such a cool word. I call it like a mindset coach. Um, let's start at the top and with what you've learned from that, how do our beliefs form in the first place? How do these self-sabotaging beliefs form through the lens of weight loss and improving our health habits? Yeah. And like, we know it as self-sabotaging beliefs. However, our brains don't know that. And like the biggest thing is as like, we're tribal people, meaning like we crave connection and if you think about it psychologically as tribal people being a part of the tribe meaning like you're accepted you're loved um you have safety that was a big part of what kept us safe mm-hmm. and so even though the world like we no longer hunt and fish for all of our food and do all the caveman things like human psychology wise, we're still the same, meaning we still crave that like being in the tribe. And the result of that is like, as we know, from physical therapy, our brains are actually not fully mature, until we're about 23 for women for guys, sorry, it's a little later. But um, and the result of that is we learn through observation, and we learn from the stories that we hear from our parents, the lessons we learn from our teachers, all of these things, we adopt it because we see it repeated so many times that it's just what we take on as truth. So it's unintentional and it's unknowing, um, but it really is through observation of the people around you, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, and also like what you got scolded for, what you didn't get scolded for, what you got praised for, all of those things really shape your beliefs. And so we learned it just as truth, but we now see it's like self-sabotaging that it's no longer serving us. Mm-hmm. So I'm, th- I'm trying to think of some examples um, from a, from a person, maybe they've been like obese their whole life and maybe like their parents chronically overate and celebrated everything with food and like really pushed like a food pusher parent yeah. I'm thinking, or like maybe when parents, if, if food was scarce growing up, I hear that a lot too, where, um, you have to clean your plate. You have to be part of the clean plate club. Don't waste food. Um, you know, your dad worked really hard to make the money to buy that food. Your mom worked really hard to make that food. Like how dare you waste food? Can you think of any other examples um, from a food standpoint, not not even speaking of body image, just like a food standpoint? Yeah. Um, another big one is we can't afford that. Yeah. That's a big one. Um, or this thing of like, we don't waste. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know those are similar stories to what you shared, but it's important to understand that the words that you heard it in is the way in which you wire your beliefs. Mm -hmm. So that's why certain things like just trying to tell yourself in the mirror, like I can do this doesn't complete, like it doesn't work to the full capacity because it's not in the words that you learned it. So um, yeah, we don't waste was a big one in my house, Mm -hmm. which is equivalent to clean your plate. Mm -hmm. Even the, if you don't eat this, then you don't get X, Y, and Z, right? Like you don't get dessert if you don't eat this, which I know that that is a way, like as parents, we're trying to really help our kids eat healthy, but it also reinforces this guilt and shame around, I need to do this in Mm -hmm. order to get X, Y, and Z. Yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah. And we're still working through ourselves. Um, I think also that there's a fine line of sweets, you know, and like not being too restrictive with sweets versus like always having them available and, you know, being too lenient with sweets. 
Um, and then of course, like body image and just how our worldview is shaped through again, observation. So I've had a lot of members say like, my brothers only dated thin girls. Um, Mm. my mom only paid attention to me when I was attractive. Like I never heard like you're perfect just the way you are. It was always like when I look good, then I got the positive attention or like would tell, um, the daughter, like, Oh, look at that girl. Isn't she pretty? And like, she was always thin. So that was a reinforced belief that, Oh, thin is good. Then we'll get me attention from my parents. Being overweight is not good because it will give me negative attention or we may sometimes even worse, like no attention, Yeah, you know? And so it's almost like this safety thing. Um, so those are just a couple of examples on, from an observational level. And even, even if you think about the movies we see, um, right. This is why representation matters because it reinforces subconsciously what you're seeing already in your parents, what you're hearing from your parents. So like, if you hear all the boys saying, oh, that girl is so attractive and you look at her and then you look at yourself and you don't see the same person as a child that can unintentionally create these self-sabotaging beliefs as well. So it's not always like what you were specifically told, but also the society that you grew up in and the way things are presented, which in America, we know like the model industry is starting to change, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking too of someone like with a eating disorder history and like, just there's that, that's probably like a whole nother podcast that we can that we can pack, but just if you have a history of an eating disorder, think about did you observe that behavior in in your mom or in a sister or in a friend? Like what beliefs contributed to that behavior, even like as a child? And I think that's a beautiful starting place for this conversation. So we are innately tribal people. We want to belong. What's kind of the next phase in this understanding of the of the brain? Yeah. And so what actually ends up happening is when we see it 67 times to be exact, it starts creating a new pathway in the brain. So um, if you can imagine, right, just like how we learn how to walk at first in babies, it looks so clunky and all of the stuff because they haven't quite repeated it enough times. But once they repeat it so many times, then it becomes easy and easy to fire as well. Like think about how we walk now. We don't think twice about, oh, I have to take a step here and then here, unless you end up getting like a neurological injury, which that is why, right? That repetition matters. And so if you think about during your formative years, observing all of these things, how many times you've observed it and maybe practiced saying it like I'm fat or saying something like I'm not attractive. If you repeated that enough times, it goes to the subconscious, meaning you don't even need to think about it firing. And so we teach this thing in, in my coaching and in the certification called STEBDAR. It's just an acronym. And It stands for the situation leads to a thought. So on studies of the brain, they're finding that in response to the situation, a thought actually fires before the emotion. Mm -hmm. So I know that like we focus a lot on the emotion in the mindset world, and it is important because it acts like a big neon sign telling you there's a belief here that's like you're butting up against. And it's creating that fight, flight, or freeze response, mm-hmm. and which we know as uncomfortableness. So think, what? Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, um, so what ends up happening is that thought leads to an emotion. Mm-hmm. But when those two are repeated enough times, sixty-seven or more, then what ends up happening is it becomes the belief that lives in the subconscious. And what they found by looking at the brain is that it will now fire opposite, meaning it will fire before you can consciously think about it. And so think of all the times where maybe you binge ate, like, I know I've experienced this, and then you beat yourself up after because you're logically coming to, 
So the logical brain starts refiring. And then you're like, why did I do that? Mm-hmm. It's because that belief unconsciously drove decisions and actions. I'm thinking too, of looking in the mirror and saying, oh, I'm so ugly or I'm so fat or I hate this body. And what we learn in PT school is what wires together fires together. Yes. So, so wiring together means like actions that occur together, um, standing in front of the mirror and having that thought they have wired together and they fire together at the same time. So we can unlink those. And we're going to talk about strategies for that, but one thing that really came to my mind was the fight, flight, or freeze. And I think so many people are in the frozen stage, especially those who are maybe like in the contemplation stage of taking action to lose weight or taking action to improve their health. They know in part what they should do. And I hate using that word should, because it is one of the words that can elicit some subconscious stress. That's not my intention here by using that word, just so people know but it's the own language that they're telling themselves. So they're saying, I know what I need to do, but I'm not doing it. Need to is another word that can elicit that subconscious stress. Again, not my intention. So they're frozen and they're frozen because of these beliefs. And so what I want to get into is how can they identify the thoughts, maybe some fears that are keeping them stuck and keeping them from taking the action required to unwire some of these limiting thoughts. Yeah. And I want to like really key in on how you were like, my intention is not to say you should, or you need to, um, and trigger you with those words. And that is one of the ways that we find beliefs. So should indicates there's a story there that like, if I don't, then I'm not going to get whatever the outcome is that you want. Mm -hmm. I need to means like, same thing. I have the belief there that, oh my gosh, I need to do this. If not, I'm never going to lose the weight. Um, So I think that's wonderful because it's not like we don't want to think them. It's almost like pay attention. So those should be like little flags that kind of, when when I say I should do this, I need to do this. Another one is I have to do this. Because our brains want to tell stories. Our brains want to give meaning to things. And so this is almost like a deconstructing of the stories that you're subconsciously telling yourself. But if it's subconscious, it's not in our current awareness. It's not in that thinking rational brain. And this is so hard, Rihanna. Like, I don't know about you, but I think that this is so hard to pull people out of their subconscious mind and into their conscious mind so that they can choose to think thoughts that serve them. So yeah. paying attention to should, okay, I, oh, I, sh- I should do this or I should do that. Paying That's- attention to need. What are the, like some other ways that we can find those limiting thoughts? Yeah. You just said another big one. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And so language patterns are a great way to look into beliefs. So it's hard is one. If you believe it's hard, the reason why your external world will always match the internal world is because we have what's called the reticular activating system. And that is what filters in and out attention so that, you know, imagine how exhausting it would be to not be able to focus on one thing. And so the reticular activating system will scan the environment for proof of reinforcing that belief. So if you believe like a workout is going to be hard, well, guess what? You're going to go into that workout and then you're going to be like, this is so hard. Mm-hmm. And so that is a big one as well. And sometimes you can't hear it all the time that we're saying these things no. because it's just, so one of the, keys that like, I think will really help your people and that I know have helped mine is where you really, when you feel that emotion, because that's typically what we'll feel first, mm-hmm. not realize there's a thought behind it. And in our society, we've learned that that discomfort is bad, that it's a negative thing when it really is just your brain trying to keep you safe based off what has served you up until this point. And so the result is 
right? When you feel that anxiety or the tightness in your chest or the, you know, your palms are starting to get sweaty or whatever it is, um, recognize that that is a sign that your belief is being triggered. And that's where I tell all of my clients and that I think your clients will benefit from as well is to slow down to speed up, meaning slow down. I know it's uncomfortable, lean in and really listen to what the brain is trying to tell you, what it's trying to keep you safe from, what are the exact words. And what I have everyone do is write it on a piece of paper because writing requires part of your memory centers. So what it's doing is we are stopping the spiral right there in its tracks because you're showing the brain, look what you're thinking. And then you're logically able to read it and think through like, does this align with where I want to go? So that is one of the biggest exercises is really recognizing and recording. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great because as you said, we rattle off words and we don't even know it. Like, and it can be really hard to catch your own limiting thoughts because they're your blind side. Like yes. it's just hard to do it on your own. First of all, it's possible, but I agree hundred percent that journaling, I always say, if you have something big to work through, you you'll do it faster if you journal through it versus think through it. Cause your thoughts will run away from you. You know, yeah. and if you, it's almost like capturing them and putting them down. And and then again, you can go back and you can self-assess like, hmm, is this rational? Yeah. Is this true? Is this serving me? And I love even crossing it off, editing your thoughts and saying, okay, well, what do I choose to think instead in this situation? So we have paying attention to language patterns. And we we talked about should, have to, need, hard. Are there other like words or phrases that are common that can be a flag to say, Oh, let's, let's explore that belief a little bit more. Yeah. Um, big phrases that indicate, I call them brain breaks, meaning it's like your brain is trying to get you to take your foot off of the acceleration. So tell me about that. Yeah. Um, when you feel triggered enough and when this is a deep, deep rooted belief, meaning You've been repeating this for years, maybe even decades, right? What typically ends up happening is the brain, you know, like a pressure cooker. Mm -hmm. That's the best analogy I have where they have that little screw at the top where you can let the steam out and that kind of alleviates pressure. Well, brain breaks act the same way. They are like that safety release valve where when you're feeling super triggered, typically your brain's going to tell you things like, I'm stuck. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how. I can't. I never, right? Because these are trying to keep you from going deep because it's so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So brain breaks are another great way that you're noticing like, it's like the analogy of the kid who just like, I'm done. I don't know how to do this math problem. It gives up because that's the brain's way of getting you to stop. So because what is the danger? So what is your brain telling itself is the danger if you keep going? Yeah. Yeah. And that story will be different for everyone. Mm-hmm. So totally. yeah. It's about getting curious about what that story is for you. That's the first step. I think um, from like a weight loss standpoint or a getting healthy standpoint, it's like, what will this do to my relationship? Like Mm -hmm. maybe they have a a partner spouse that they emotionally eat with. Is this going to make my partner feel uncomfortable when I no longer am their emotional eating buddy? Um, Am I not going to like how I look when I lose the weight? Um, am I even going to be able to keep it off? Am I going to be able to sustain it? Um, I've never been able, like that word, never, I've never been able to do in the past. Why is this time different? Um, there are so many and it's, yeah. they weigh them down. And I, I like to think of it as like a water balloon um, mm-hmm. where your brain, your energetic capacity for change is the mm-hmm. water inside of the balloon, the balloon being your brain. 
And every one of these negative, critical, limiting thoughts is like a little pin that pokes a hole in the balloon and it drains out your personal power and energetic capacity to change. And so every time we can identify one of these limiting thoughts, it's like plugging a hole and getting your energy back. And it's not like energy is a limited, I don't believe it's a limited supply. I think that there's always, you know, water pouring into the top of the balloon and it's just a matter of plugging the holes so that you can then overflow into other areas of your life and accomplish your goals. But if you're stuck in this cycle of self-sabotage, it is hard. And so I just want to acknowledge anyone who feels like they're there right now. Don't give up. It is hard. I think, you know, both of us in our own capacity, myself and Rihanna, we've been there. We've been in that cycle of self-sabotage, probably in more than one area of our life. Um, but we've done the mindset work and we're like living proof that this stuff absolutely works. So even if it seems foreign, foreign to you, if you feel like you've tried all the diets, you've tried exercising and you're like still here, this is why like the universe is trying to tell you you've got to focus on your mindset. You've got to focus on your mental health. Um, so any other, you called them like brain stops. Is that what you called them? Yeah. So like the analogy I give all the time is like, you're accelerating in a car Mm -hmm. and your beliefs are the brakes and what you want, your desire, right? Like the desire for, for you to lose weight. Um, that's your foot on the gas pedal. So long as there is a belief there and a story about what losing the weight will do for you, um, that will keep, it's like, you're trying to accelerate as your foot's on the brake. And as we know, if you do that, you spin out and you don't necessarily accelerate forward. You just feel like you're spinning your wheels not getting progress. And that is the exact reason why, like you talked about that mindset piece is so important um, because that's the best analogy of what it looks like internally. And I know many of your clients probably can attest to that feeling where it's like, I'm trying mm-hmm. and I'm not getting there. And right. I don't know why. Right. And it comes down to that either there's something stopping them from doing what they know they want to do, or there's something there that it's like, they're doing all the things, checking all the boxes, but they don't believe they're capable of weight loss. Mm-hmm. And that's I think, the I think another one too, is just a lack of passion or purpose, you know? And I think that's something that we ha- that's a very real thing. Like people, especially if they have like, I don't know, five to 10 pounds, like the last five to 10 pounds. It's like, if you really want to lose that, you, you got to up your why you got to up your passion and purpose. Cause that's the hardest one, in my opinion, to get off. Um, and if you're, if you're significantly overweight, connect with your, why connect with your passion and purpose on why is it important for you to regain your health? So I think that's also an important conversation and maybe we'll get there from like a visualization standpoint too on, okay, well, what do we do about these things? But before we go to that, are there any other ways to identify those limiting thoughts in ourself? Yeah. Um, I always say that your life is a reflection of your internal being. Mm-hmm. And that's a very spiritual way of looking at the world. But if there are things there, such as um, I know in entrepreneurship, a big one is getting nose on sales calls or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that typically indicates there's something out of alignment there. And then it's representing in a physical world, similar to the internal world. Mm-hmm. And I've had, my realm wasn't always in helping entrepreneurs. I mean, I started in burnout because I burnt out twice And one of the gals, which this might relate to your clients, she came to me because she was burning out trying to lose weight. So it's slightly different reasons for coming, but the basic premise was she didn't realize there was a belief there and a payoff of trying 
because any, if she was trying to lose weight, then she would get all the sympathy from the husband and the kids and all of these things if she didn't meet her goal. So of course, that's a payoff. So another way that your clients can really look at is that external world, where are they maybe getting praise and validation of weight loss is hard and all these things. Mm -hmm. So really looking at what are the people around you saying as well? Will you dig a little deeper into the payoff thing? Because you had mentioned that earlier and I thought that was an interesting word. And I just want to wrap my head around that a little bit more. So will you explain that and maybe give another example or two? Yeah. So I never say that a belief is good or bad because that indicates that, you know, it's, there's a emotion behind the words. Mm -hmm. And really a belief is just neutral. However, what I call it is like any pattern that we repeat, which is a belief, it is, we do it because it serves us in some capacity. There's a payoff there, whether it's praise or, you know, playing the martyr, which then gets you, you know, sympathy and all of these things, which at the time when you feel seen and heard in your struggles, that can feel good. Mm-hmm. That can sometimes create a payoff unintentionally, but a payoff nonetheless, because it's like, yeah, these are my people. They're struggling with me too. And they know what it's like. And so when you are feeling seen and heard, that feels good, especially in a world that's so fast paced now, where it's like everything that we do, we sometimes feel alone in what we're doing. And so when you, when I say payoff, it's an unintentional payoff because you are getting attention. So could the payoff be similar to like not rocking the boat at home? Yes. That's another one. I was thinking about that. Like the payoff could be staying in your comfort zone and not, um, inconveniencing anyone else because of your new healthy habits. That's the payoff is, uh, no confrontation in a relationship. And so for people that I think have a a heavy emphasis in their self-worth on, am I pleasing others? That's Mm -hmm. a hard one for people pleasers to want to disrupt any sense of normalcy in their life by changing some health habits or eating habits. Um, so I don't know. Uh, that was one of the ones that came to my mind too on payoff. So thanks for explaining that. Yeah. Um, so once we kind of identify that again, we want to write them down, write through them. Yes. Okay. Yes. And is there a certain process or like journaling prompt or aside from like, Hmm. I, I really, I say it as like, when you feel that resistance, lean in, meaning slow down enough where you can hear the dialogue and write those word for word on a piece of paper. So I want it to be specifically in their words because that's the way they learned it. And that's the way it's firing and repeating itself. So we hear a great example is we hear imposter syndrome all the time, but the dialogue that we're having doesn't typically say those exact words. Right. It has something specific to what they remember hearing. So it really is about just writing down word for word what you're thinking. Um, so not a whole lot of prompts there. Okay. I think that requires something that people may be uncomfortable with, which is stopping. And I'm speaking like, you know, both hands up here. It's really hard for me to slow down. It's something I'm actively working on. But we get in this rhythm, and I think especially for high, high achievers, we feel like if we're not being productive, if we're not doing something, then we are wasting time and we're wasting this gift of life. And that is, a, that, that is one of my limiting beliefs that I'm actively working through, that um, rest is important, play is important, you need more of it. Um, you need, you need more of it. So what story is that? You know, there's probably a story to unpack behind that, but it does take time and it takes intentional margin to sit down and journal through your thoughts. And it takes a willingness to get uncomfortable. 
And I think a lot of people, when they're like, oh, I want to lose weight. It's like, well, do you want to get uncomfortable with yourself emotionally? That's what it's going to take. (laughs) And most, (laughs) no, most will say like, no. And that's okay. Like that just means they're not ready yet. Um, But for the people in your group who are doing the work, who are like taking that first step, that takes so much courage, like courage and boldness to really just acknowledge, Hey, the way I'm doing things just isn't working. Mm-hmm. And it really is about seeing what you, you said, connect to your why, mm-hmm. why do you want to lose the weight that makes all of the work worth it. When you yeah. know your why that drives you. And this is right? not a shortcut either. I, I, I heard on another podcast, the longest way to get somewhere is to take all the shortcuts. And I think that's what a lot of people do with weight loss is they want to, Oh, that, that sounds like it's going to take too long. Or that sounds like it's going to be too hard. Or, um, yeah, that sounds kind of generally uncomfortable to like sit with my discomfort and write out my emotions. And it's like, well, you can continue to do one diet after the next, but you will end up right where you are as you, as you experience with your PT job, you know, it's like you weren't, you burned out at one and then you burned out at the cookie cutter. Cause you didn't, t- you didn't change <laughs> cookie cutter. I'm used to saying cookie cutter in your cookie business because you didn't change that internal process. And yes. so if someone's listening to this and they're like, oh no, that's me. I've just been taking like one weight loss shortcut after another, having that short sighted. I want to look good at the wedding. I want to look good on vacation. And then I'm not going to care about it again until the next event comes up. Well, that's the longest way to your success. So shortcuts, all the shortcuts add up to the longest way. Um, I think the other thing that's really overlooked in all of this is the applicability of these principles to every area of life. Like when you master this mindset stuff, you can grow in business. You can lose the weight. But what's way more important to me is how my relationships have improved. Like with my husband, with my children, how much more patient and present and intentional of a mom I am. Um, I'm a much less, I'm, I don't think I hold on to any resentment anymore as a wife. Um, have you noticed that in your personal relationships too? Like, Yeah, I'm glad you asked because how I use this phrase all the time, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Because the reality is we try to compartmentalize our lives. This is work and this is life, but how we show up in both of them, we can't separate ourselves from that. (laughs) So there's no way to actually compartmentalize because you are who you are. And the beliefs you hold are the beliefs you hold. Um, and so I've noticed that in just my relationship with my husband, where we don't really fight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's one of those things where if tensions get high, we both like, I love that he's adopted the tools as well, because we both get curious about, okay, why is this upsetting me? Why is this triggering me? And typically it's a belief of like, I should be doing this and, and and so on and so forth. So it's helped me really neutralize things and let things go, which has helped my mental health. It's helped uh, my ability to have more energy um, because all my energy isn't going towards everything that I'm holding on to. So, Yeah. There is um, another analogy that I just read in a book about, are your hands on the steering wheel of your life or are they holding on to the rear view mirror as your life spins out of control? And it's like, well, if you want control of your life, you have to take your hands off of the rear view mirror, out of the past, out of the, even the future and put them on the present moment where you have control. And I was thinking about how you said compartmentalizing and, um, I think the only way to do that is to be present in the moment. Like that's how I compart. That's how I try to compartmentalize quote unquote is Mm -hmm. if I'm at home, I'm trying to be present to home. If I'm at work, I'm trying to be present at work. If I'm at the gym, I'm trying to be present at the gym. If I'm meditating or doing my mindset work, I'm trying to be present in that moment. And that's the only thing that I have found so far in my journey that has helped with that like the constant stream of never ending thoughts that I think women just tend to like 
maybe come by naturally, maybe a little more naturally than men. And, and I've had to try, I'm trying different techniques to really calm those down. Um, so we talked about just to kind of like, keep us on the, keep us on track, talked yeah. about journaling. We talked about writing them down verbatim because that's how your brain sees the belief. Well, then where do we go? So now we've captured the thought, but how do we transform that into a new belief? Yeah. So when you are able to actually see what you're thinking and write it down, you then are going to like put your lawyer pants on (laughs) and find evidence that either refutes that or evidence either meaning either in your life or in other people's lives. And the reason it doesn't matter in this case, if it's in other people's lives is because if that was an absolute truth, then this can't happen at the same time. So I call this the logical refute, meaning you are like busting out all the evidence and the proof of why this cannot be a hundred percent true. So you're kind of like poking holes in, in that belief to stop giving it power. Mm-hmm. That's it's a really important focused. step. Yeah. That's a really important step. I was thinking about, uh, it's hard to lose weight. And it's like, yeah. hmm, what about when you get the flu and you're just like feeling miserable for a week and then you lose six pounds? Was it hard yeah. to lose that weight? No, that means it doesn't have to be hard to lose weight. Or I love the money analogy um, where you have to work to, yes, to a certain extent. If you work, you will get money. And I kid you not about every time I go to the gym, I find a quarter on the floor or a penny. And I'm like, I didn't have to work for that money. Or, you know, <laughs> someone sends me some birthday money in the mail. It's like, I didn't have to work for that money. Um, so I think that's a really good, a really good point that we don't talk often enough, at least in our Zipley program or another yeah. podcast about the importance to find evidence because your brain won't just naturally let go of that belief. It needs something new to hold on to. So is yeah. that the is that the purpose of finding that refuting evidence is to like give it something new to hold on to, or is there another step here? Yes. What you're actually doing in this moment from a very science nerdy place is we are working on neuro pruning. And for those who don't know what that is, it's like if this is synapses in your brain, you're giving it space so that it takes longer to fire and eventually erases. So you are erasing the old pattern first off by not allowing it to fire without your will. Second off, yes, you are now putting in evidence, something else to believe in because our brains really like to work in this black and white. It's an where there's no end, there's no gray area. When the reality is life is gray (laughs) in all capacities, in all aspects, there's so much gray area, um, but your brain will present it as it's either you do this or this, and there's no in between. Mm -hmm. And so what you are really doing is you're poking holes in your brain's ability to paint that picture, which helps with the pruning process. So help like it it can't fire as automatically now because there's refu- refuting evidence it's like mm, that's not quite true yeah okay. yeah okay so then what happens so if we now we have the belief we have the refuting evidence we're doing our neural pruning is that what you called it neural pruning neural pruning yeah this the next step and this tends to be i'm just going to warn everyone listening to this like this tends to be where a lot of my clients like to like try to hide <laughs> because it can be uncomfortable i know it was for my client who was trying to lose the weight mm-hmm. and it is refute mirror so you're still refuting the belief but how you're going to do this piece is you are taking the word for word belief And you're going to place it, not literally, but in your mind, like you're going to imagine yourself telling that to your loved one, whether it's your spouse or your kid, or if you want to imagine your inner child, you can, but that tends to be too close to yourself. So it's taking yourself out of the scenario and placing that on someone else, on your ride or die, your loved one, and watch what comes up. Like 
you know, I don't know about you, but if someone was talking really bad about, you know, my husband, mama bear would come out where it's like, like, no, that's not true. And I wouldn't let him believe that because X, Y, and Z. And the same will happen for your people is they'll be like, I would never call my daughter fat. Mm-hmm. And yet we're telling ourselves these things. And then what you'll notice is how much easier it you come to the defense of that person. Cause mm-hmm. that's what you truly believe. Yeah. That's interesting. So I think that that was a really important thing because that's what you truly believe. So mm-hmm. gosh, aren't our brains really interesting? Like why, <laughs> why does it have to be like, this? um, so that's the next step. What did you call that? Like refute mirror? Refute mirror. Yeah. So it's taking the belief and placing it on a loved one. And then defending and then seeing what comes up. And like, that's the true belief. Yes. So and then what? With yeah. What- so you are writing all these down. So it is a journaling exercise because like I said, when you write, you stop the spiral. Versus when you think about things, your brain has the capacity to like run away with itself. So writing it out, the next step is to then read everything and change the wording to like, I am statements. And what this becomes is your own personalized affirmations. And it's about getting it in your words, though. So that's one of the biggest things that I then have my clients do is, for example, if in defense of that person, they would never tell their daughter they're fat, right? Why? What are the statements that come up? And then instead of saying, well, she, right, you're going to change it to I. So they all become I statements. Mm -hmm. And this is what we call your truth prime meaning this is what we are going to put into repetition so that this becomes the new norm. Mm-hmm. I like that. So, so um, I would never call my daughter fat because she is beautiful and she is worthy and she is loved just the way she is. I would never call myself fat because I am beauty. I I am beautiful. I am worthy and I'm loved just the way I am. Yes. Anyone who needs to hear that in the back, that's, that's for you. Okay. So then what do we do with that? With the prime prime. So we then are going to use brain like memory centers and the science of the brain to our advantage, meaning it it's not extra work. Just the journaling piece is, Mm -hmm. but what you're going to do is you're going to do a voice recording on your phone or however you want to do it and listen to that every night and every morning. And here's why at night, when you go to sleep, when you get into that deep sleep REM cycle, what you are using is you're putting everything you saw, heard and experienced into memory. That's exactly what you're going to be doing if this is what you're listening to before bed. So I have all of my clients commit to listening at minimum before bed and in the morning. And it's getting that repetition. And when you're sleeping, it's filing those away so that when 67 times happen, you start noticing things don't trigger you as much because it's neuro pruned and we've put in a new belief pattern. So that is what I have all my clients do. I like this a lot. Um it's not necessarily the same process that we have, but I think any Zibli member listening is like, oh yeah, like that's why we read our personal faith formula at least once a day in the morning. But that's another technique is to record it on your phone, you guys, and get that repetition. And I kid you not, Rihanna, like whenever comes to me, like whenever someone comes to me and they're not being consistent or they're struggling in, in some capacity, they've usually lapsed with their mindset work or it needs modifying. Yeah. So let's talk about this where, well, how do you know when you need to tweak that audio recording and how do you know like what it needs to go to? Yeah. And this is where I think having a coach is so important as well, because like you had alluded to earlier, 
these sit in our blind spots. These sit sometimes in the subconscious and we're not even realizing like, okay, this actually I'm putting in another belief that still might not align with where I want to go. And so it really is about noticing again, building that awareness muscle. And it is a muscle. Like it is just like any other thing. When you're training, you are learning to get the reps to train your brain. And it's about recognizing, am I still being triggered by this very thing? If it's a no, then that means you can update it. It means that you've completely neutralized it. And I describe it as a very out-of-body experience because it's like you can hear other people saying like weight loss is hard, but if you don't believe that, you're like, yeah, but it might be, but I've experienced otherwise, right? And so that's how you will know if you have completely neutralized a belief on the opposite spectrum, if it's triggering you still go back and look at the words that you wrote. Is there something subtly in there that is finding a way to reinforce the old belief? Because if you're still being triggered, it means that either the words need to be updated or you're not consistent. Yeah. And isn't that, I think that's where we have to use our self-control and our discipline is this stuff. Like, I think so many people focus a lot on like being like really disciplined with their nutrition or disciplined with their meal stuff. I'm like, if you're consistent and use your willpower and your discipline for your mindset work, the other things will come a lot easier because then you had another really good line in your podcast that I wanted to refer to. It's almost like the actions that you're taking aren't a threat anymore. Like that makes sense. But you kind of explain that thought. Yeah. Because when it's neutral, you don't see it as a threat, right? What creates the fight, flight, or freeze response is because the brain is perceiving something as a threat. So if the payoff was love and affirmation for all of the trying to lose weight, then guess what? Your brain does not want to lose that. So it can be a threat. Or in the case that you shared, right, is... um now I blanked, but you get the premise is like when the brain genuinely sees it as this is not a threat to me gaining love or acceptance or safety, then guess what? We can move forward and I'm not going to throw fit. Yeah. And I think I really like that. Um, the mirror exercise, because thinking through that same example of like, say your daughter, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give my daughter love unless, you know, she's trying to lose weight. Like that's ridiculous. Right. So I think that it's, it's such a good tip. If anyone, I, that's like one of my biggest takeaways from the episode today is using that mirror exercise to disassociate yourself from the belief, you know, and figure out that, but also the importance of journaling, like it is not sexy and it is not I don't, I'm not drawn to it. I don't know if you are drawn to it, but to me, it's, um, it always feels like, um, work, you know, to be honest, it always feels like mindset work when I'm journaling, because I know that whatever I write down is not just going to stay in the moment. Like it's going to come with me and it's going to like be on my mind, which is the point, (laughs) 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 but you know, it takes that openness to get uncomfortable. Um, you did you go to Creighton for PT school? I did. Yes. Do you remember on Terry Grindstaff's store? I think that there's a sign like get uncomfortable with or get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. I <laughs> love that sign. I was like, mm, that's gonna be kind of my life motto. So I don't know. I just think anyone listening, this is required. Like I, there's no way around this, this mindset side of things. If you want to lose weight and be happy and not burn out and be really proud of yourself and like release the negative emotions that you associate with the excess weight, it's really important to figure out this mindset piece. Um, because a lot of times people will lose weight 
just like you did, you know, you changed your job. You didn't change the inside and they're still not happy. You know, I, I thought losing weight would make me happy. I thought losing weight would make me love myself. I thought I'd feel more attractive when I lost weight. And it's an inside out job. You know, the weight is just physical. I like to say we have physical weight and we have mental weight and we have to lose both of them to really feel good and keep it off. Um, and you can't lose mental weight by dieting or by exercising. Like this is the mental weight loss exercises, quote unquote, that one must willingly go through. And it's a choice and we have to respect when people don't want to, it's hard because we love people and we love to help people want to see them become the best version of the uh, version of themselves. Um, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit more we get a lot of women, you know, fifties, sixties, let's say that Mm -hmm. I talked to a woman just yesterday in her sixties and she was like, I did a presentation. Um, and she came up to me afterwards and she's like, yeah, I'm not doing anything that you said to do. I'm not doing anything right. And of course I feel like garbage. Like I'm not doing anything right. And everything is wrong. And I'm like, okay, well then that just kind of proves the whole presentation there. And she's like, but I'm like 63. And sometimes I'm like, well, what difference is it going to like, how much better can I really get? Like what difference is it going to make? So that's one angle for the, for the 60 something, 60 somethings or plus. But then the other angle that comes up too is my age causes impatience. Like, because Mm -hmm. I'm in my sixties, I don't know how much time I have left. So I need to get this figured out fast. And so that really prepent, like that draws them towards the more quick fix things. So can we unpack both of those a little bit? Like, first of all, let's unpack the woman in the sixties. That's like, I don't know if what I'm going to do is actually going to make that big of a difference. What would you say to that person? Um, I would get curious and it's really about asking that person, okay, why, like, what is the thought? What is the story behind what it looks like to make a difference? So paint that picture for me. If it doesn't make that much of a difference, how will you know? Because they already have a preformed belief there of what that looks like. And so when they tell you that, that's where you can then refute knowing your like education and physical therapy and the science behind this is what it could actually benefit you with and what becomes possible if we eliminate that right if we make this a possibility what then because oh sorry yeah i just love that get curious yeah it's all about curiosity and really uh, flexing that muscle of like, okay, let's really understand why do you hold this belief? Like, where did you learn this? Where did you pick this up? How has this served you? And for my clients, a lot of times the stories serve them because it keeps them from disappointment, which is a emotion that can be very powerful. And if you don't try, well, you can never be disappointed. And so really understanding and every woman's story is going to be a little different. So it's really about getting curious. Even for that woman, I would invite her to really get curious. Like what does a big difference look like to you? Cause I want to know like, okay, you obviously have said it's not going to make that much of a difference. So what would a big difference look like for you? And she will tell you what her vision and dream is because she's only thought she's already thought of it as I'm this old and therefore I can't make a big difference. It can't make a big difference. And so uh, I told her what I told her, I was like, cause I had a client call in like two minutes. Yeah. Um, the Q and a of the presentation was super long. And I was like, I have a client call in a couple minutes. We could have a 45 minute conversation about that one sentence. Mm-hmm. For real, you know, for real. So, okay. Get curious. Yep. And I think I'm thinking about the automatic nature of that thought. How many times has she thought of making a change and then thought, oh, what's the point? Like yes. how, how much good would it do anyways? But yeah. if we just pause and we interrupt that with a question, well, what does change mean to you? What does change look like to you? What does big change look like to you? I think another huge story, um, 
is they, they, they tell themselves the story of what it's going to take. I'm not ready for that big of a change. And that's an automatic thing too. It's like, well, that's a choice. You're choosing to tell yourself a story that you, it's a part of the all or nothing mindset, I call it. And it's like, that's a pattern that you've been in that all or nothing mindset. And we just have to break that and say, Hmm. We don't have to believe that anymore. We can make small choice, small changes that will add up over time. And it's like, what do you got to lose? You know, like, but, but they're telling themselves they have something to lose. And so that's what we have to, that's what we have to do. So what about the person that's in their sixties that's saying, I got to figure this out right now because I don't have, I don't know how much time I have left and I don't want to squander my years of retirement where I could be contributing at a higher level than I currently am with my kids, with my grandkids, with my community. And I'm not because I'm tired and I'm not in good health Mm -hmm. and I don't feel quote unquote qualified to like, or able, like physically able to show up in those bigger and better ways. And so they're seeking more of the the quick fix approaches. Mm -hmm. How would you approach that situation? Yeah. Well, I do approach every situation with curiosity, meaning I really want to get to the the nitty gritty, the the belief that is actually there holding them back, right? The belief of if I do this, I'm going to lose X, Y, and Z. And in this woman's case, I would really ask, like, how has the quick fixes been working for you? Because the chances are, hasn't been working. That's why you're talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, and so that is, you know, I do a lot of story branding, which is where people come because they have an external problem, meaning weight loss, right? It's the physical part of the problem. However, they buy based off emotions, How does that make them feel, right? So in this woman's case, I would really ask and get curious, like, how does it feel to continually go through this cycle? And what becomes possible if you change that cycle, Mm -hmm. right? If we change our perception of time, because you're going to be spending your time anyway. So how do you want to spend it? Do you want to spend it continuing to stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, or do you want to truly be free? Like that is the biggest difference and how she's seeing time. It's very similar with my clients where they're like, I just want fast results. And what I always do is I bring them back to their why and it's okay. Why do you want that? And how's the current pattern working for you? Yeah. Because it is about if you really want to go fast, then we've got to change the way you're approaching things or yeah. else it would have been there already. Yeah. If hard work was the answer, we'd all have everything that we want. You know, it's not, exactly. yeah. it's not that. And I think that was something that really propelled me into this mindset space was I was like working so hard, working so hard. And I'm like, I'm missing something here. And um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be what I feel like is, um, on a continuous journey, but certainly over that initial hump of, holy moly, this mindset world is completely new to me. Um, so anything else you wanted to share in our last few minutes, uh, any other tips or mindset hacks that you wanted to share? Um, I think the biggest thing is I just want, hope your listeners know that like there's no judgment about having a belief there. It is a belief that has probably served you up until this point. So give yourself grace. And it is more of that childlike curiosity that we're trying to approach mindset with it, which that's a lighter energy, right? Yeah, it <laughs> and, is. It's yeah. I like that. You know how hard, especially go-getters and high achievers can be on themselves. So I always remind people, it's not a matter of like, it's your fault or it's their fault. It's a matter of, okay, this is what I currently hold. And do I want to keep that pattern going or do I want to change it? And then making the choice. Yep. I think that 
just, it, it reminded me of this vision of being entrapped by all of these branches. Like, did you ever see Maleficent, the movie Maleficent? Yes. Yeah. And where, um, they're shooting at her and like, she, she builds this cage around her, like this bird cage. And I think that like a lot of people feel trapped in their own cage of thinking. And this is like a gradual process of like taking out your garden shears and like just releasing those and like cutting through the thoughts to get to kind of that other side of like, okay, there's, there's a bigger world than just what's going on in my little brain up here. And I like the word attachment and releasing too. like from an energetic standpoint, I like feeling what do we have attachments to? What beliefs are we attached to? What fears are we attached to? Um, Are we attached to the opinions of other people? Are we attached to the praise of other people? Are we attached to anything? And how, how can we develop more personal freedom by, you know, just trimming that you can't want this using my little scissors. Like we're playing rock, paper, scissors here, trimming it up and, and releasing ourselves from our own mental cage. Um, so I've, I've loved this conversation, Rihanna. I think it's just been so fun. We do have some PTs that listen and other therapists. So if you want to let them know where they can reach you, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, I am very active on Instagram. So the thriving therapists, or you can type my name, Rihanna Mulcahy, um, and you will find it. So <laughs> thank you so much. It's always lovely to, to talk with another PT, especially local, especially local. Cause you're up in Omaha. Yeah. Um, I appreciated your time and your expertise and, um, we're just kindred spirits on this mindset stuff. So I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the reshape your health podcast today. To learn more about Zibli, our online course and coaching program to reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention, check out our website at www.zibli.com. That's Z-I-V-L-I.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating and review on your listening platform and share it with a friend. I'll talk with you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now.